Big news in the Fin Review over the weekend. Yeah, it was actually a bit shocking, wasn't it, really? Profitability on management rights has gone through the roof. We're going to be talking about that. We're going to be talking about a new index that shows that uh, life is much worse for renters than we even thought. We're going to talk about big news for this Flat Chat podcast. Mm. And we've got a fabulous idea for somewhere for you to go on holiday to get away from all this rent crisis and management rights stuff. (laughs) (laughs) To cheer yourself up. (laughs) Cheer yourself up, indeed. I'm Jimmy Thompson. I write the Flat Chat column for the Australian Financial Review. And I'm Sue Williams, and I write about property for Domain. And this is the Flat Chat Wrap. management rights really is. What, what is the management rights industry, Jimmy? Well, yeah, um, basically it started in Queensland um, where they assumed that ordinary apartment owners would not be able to look after themselves properly. Um, and so they sold or they allowed developers by law to pre-sell the rights to manage uh, buildings and rentals in those buildings for contracts of either up to 10 years or 25 years. Mm. So this is basically a way of putting money in developers' pockets. and what Long it, after they've sold the apartments to people. Like everywhere else in Australia, the developers' contracts and agreements expire at the first AGM with the specific exclusion of management rights contracts. So the developers will sell management rights to somebody and you arrive, you bought into a new apartment in Queensland, discover that you've already got a 25-year contract for servicing your apartment, which is almost impossible to get out of. I mean, every case I've heard of where the owners have said, look, these management rights people are not fulfilling even the contracts that they've got, the courts in Queensland will not ever rescind a management rights contract. Now, this has grown, it's a, and, and we call it the Queensland disease here. Oh, poor Queensland. And um, We've had experience of that here in New South Wales as well, haven't we? We've had personal experience of that. A new apartment that we bought suddenly had, we, we had no idea, but suddenly the developers produced a building management contract that we had no idea had been agreed to. And actually our strata managers had agreed it yep. and have fixed our... Um, seal onto it without even our knowledge. Yeah, yeah. So we were faced with actually either going to um, court and facing a long legal battle or... Or just, well, or just throwing just, the, the, the building manager out. Yes. And I mean, it was risky, but we actually did that. We we kind of marched the building manager out who, who had been appointed by the developer and he was absolutely hopeless. But in fact, to show how hopeless he was... As he got into his car to exit the building, his car broke down. So we ended up having to push him out the <laughs> so door. So you literally we did. We pushed, pushed him out, out the door. Yeah. But that was different. And luckily they didn't come back to us. Right. Well, they no, they got you another way. Though. They got you another way on the defects. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. that's true. Um, <laughs> Thank you. As they said they would. Yeah, but that was different. That was not a pre-sold contract. We're talking about contracts in Queensland, where the developer turns up having sold the contract to somebody and the owners have no say over who their managers are going to be. Mm. The sale of these contracts is now 
big, big, big business, huge business. And apparently it's just gone up 67% in the last year and oh is worth God. $8 billion. Wow. Nationally. That's nationally, not sure. just Queensland. That's incredible. And the problem is, well, apart from Queensland, where it's a huge problem, the problem is that it's spreading into New South Wales. Right, kind of down the coast. Because we have heard recently that a new building in the Northern Rivers, which had a Queensland developer, mm. the Queensland developer said, well, I'm going to sell the management rights contracts, or I shouldn't say sell. They said, I'm going to award the management <laughs> rights contracts. Somebody in New South Wales said, yeah, but here in New South Wales, all contracts uh, expire at the, the first AGM. And the developer said, that's okay, because I've got enough votes at the first AGM to make sure this goes through. And that's what has happened. Wow. And this building has finds itself with a 25-year management rights contract. But surely, I mean, there were changes in New South Wales a few years ago to, to make to outlaw that kind of thing. But have has is this just a way of getting around it because the developer had enough votes yeah. to manage it? But how can a 25-year contract be legal? Because it's a contract. It's, it comes under business law. In Strata, the Strata manager has a, an initial one-year contract and then it's renewable every three years, mm. which is reasonable. The first one year gives the owners a chance to work out how the strata manager operates and develop a relationship with them. And if they turn out to be a, a clown car of idiots, then they can get rid of them after a year. Mm. Building management doesn't have that restriction. I think the maximum uh, is a 10-year contract, but they come in as 10 plus 10 plus 10. Oh, right. So you get your 10-year contract. And if the Owners Corporation hasn't got its eye on the ball when the 10 years is up, they will find that suddenly the management right, the management has rolled over. Now, this 25-year contract seems to be a 25-year contract for the right to manage the rentals in the building. Oh, right. Because you're, you're talking about the holiday area up there. Sure. So... I don't know how, I don't know what the details are, but it sounds like this is, this has gone through. Now there's in the story in the AFR, um, it mentions a property in, uh, Sydney, which has just sold management rights for three million dollars, I think. So Sue, you've got some information there from the story in the AFR about management rights. Now we're not implying in any way that there is anything dodgy or untowards about this. It's just an indication of how valuable management rights contracts are. So it has spread from Queensland to New South Wales and Victoria. Yeah, absolutely. Um, management rights to the um, Aspire Tower in the Melbourne CBD were recently sold for $3 million. Wow. And then in Sydney, management rights to the Park Regis Apartment Hotel in Cremorne on Sydney's Lone North Shore sold for $5.2 million. Right. And uh, management rights in the 94-room Flynn's Beach Resort in Port Macquarie, just north of um, Sydney, sold for $1.9 million. So, yeah, it seems to be kind of taking off everywhere, It's really. big business. Now, these, I mean, these ones that you mentioned, they sound like they might actually be apartment hotels. So they, they're not necessarily residential strata schemes. Well, two of them are, but the Aspire Tower in Melbourne is an apartment building. Well, there you go. So now we're finding that... Owners, I mean, we've just been through this recently where owners turn up at an AGM, the first AGM, only half the owners turn up and half of the owners who do turn up have never lived in Strata before. 
So they have no idea what's happening and they think, oh, management rights. Okay, well, that's good. The developers, the developer knows the building. Yep. So the developer is going to appoint a building manager who obviously is going to be an expert in this yep. area. And of course, we just have too much faith. Well, absolutely. <laughs> the developer's only in it really for the money. Well, their reputation is at stake as well. But people think that, as we did, that some of these scams seem so egregious that the government, there must be a law somewhere to stop them, which is naivety of the first water. Mm. Um, But it's interesting that you do trust that uh, the the developer is going to look after you and and not lead you up the garden path. It was interesting that at that AGM, our building manager had put forward a contract for two years plus two years repeating. And the strata manager said, hmm, I think we'll just make this one two-year contract and see how we go. Yeah. So that was a smart thing to do, mm. you know, and they they could have come in with a 10-year contract. Yeah. Now, a lot of these things are going to change in New South Wales, but $8 billion in management rights, most of which is happening in Queensland so far. Mm. I know that the Queensland branch of the Strata Community Association, which is the strata manager's professional body, up there, they are lobbying very, very hard for the government to start putting limits on new contracts. Mm. And a 25-year contract for anything is just ridiculous. Absolutely. And it's just so hard, I think. You you get a new building, you kind of go there, you're just looking at the the fixtures and fittings, and you think, wow, this is going to be so nice, this is my new life here. And you don't really take much notice, to be honest, of the contracts and all the kind of background stuff. Mm. You're just dazzled by it. You're kind of looking how far it is to the nearest school, the nearest shops. And the new car smell of the apartment. Yeah, yeah. it's a great time in your life. And then suddenly you discover there's all these extra costs because all these contracts have been signed kind of either yeah. in your absence or that you had no idea yeah. about really. Yeah. And you're up for lots and lots of costs. And it's a terrible thing, a terrible blight on apartment living, isn't it? Because, yeah. you know, there are more and more of us going into apartments and we're kind of getting higher density cities. We've kind of got to make sure apartment living is is a fair and, and just kind of platform for everyone really. Well, John Minns, we had John Minns, the Strata Commissioner on – the podcast the other day, and he's very much in favour of a two-stage initial strata AGM so that you come Mm. in and basically you just sign the insurance policy and elect the strata committee, and then they go away and pick the contracts apart Mm. and come back and Mm. say, okay, we're going to change this one. We're going to we're going to reject that one and get some get another quote, which makes perfect sense because at the moment the law demands that the developer hand over all the contracts um, related to the building fourteen days before the initial AGM. Yeah, that's just not enough time. No, I mean some of these contracts are massive, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, especially if you're in a. a community title system where your building is one of several. So you've got your bylaws and contracts, and then you've got the bylaws and contracts for the whole scheme. And we have Mm. seen a contract. Remember, we pulled out of buying an apartment in uh, Waterloo, was it? That's right, yeah. Because when they handed us the the contract, it was in a big ring binder, a huge (laughs) ring binder. And our conveyancer said, this is going to take me two weeks to get through this. Yeah. And they said, well, you've only got a week. Yeah. And we pulled out. Yeah, absolutely. And we would have made a huge profit on that. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually a really nice building. It, it turned is. out quite yeah. well. Yeah. But you just never know. 
And I mean, some solicitors don't really have the experience with strata. So they, you know, they're looking at the documents for the first time. And they're not quite sure. So they have to kind yeah. of look up, at, you know, what's what. So yeah, 14 days is just too short, isn't it? So yeah. good on Mins for, um, you know, trying to get it changed. Yeah. And hopefully that will help with the management rights thing because I don't, I don't want to see that virus spreading from Queensland, no. especially since it sounds like Queensland are finally going to do something about it. Their problem is that the vested interests in the management rights business there are the management rights holders, the people who trade them, the developers and the banks. The mm. banks make a lot of money out of these because they loan the money for the people to buy the management rights. Mm. So it's a big chunk of powerful people ranged against any change. Yeah. But it will happen. Yeah. Okay, when we come back, we're going to talk about the latest index into rental affordability. That's after this. And we're back. Well, Sydney has gone to the top of the pile I, in another aspect of modern life. <laughs> and not such a great one. Well, you know, some it's, look, even the bad news has a silver lining for some people, <laughs> I suppose. Yeah. Well, we are now, along with Hobart, have the least affordable rentals in Australia. Mm. It's gone up uh, something like 16% in the past year. Oh, my goodness. Um, so what has happened is there's a new index released. It's an annual thing released by Shelter, the housing group, and SGS Economics on rental affordability. And it makes pretty grim reading, doesn't it? It certainly does. I mean, it was showing that in rents in Greater Sydney have gone up 18.2% in the year. Wow. And the income of people in Greater Sydney has gone up by 2.4%. Yeah. That is a huge, nearly 16% difference. And one of the interesting things about this survey is that it breaks it down in a way that makes it much more understandable that the pressures that mm. people put, people are put under because there's a table there of people's income and the percentage of that that they pay on rent. And it goes from low paid workers and students down to double income family with kids and the affordability register for these is quite quite amazing because mm. i think it's the only the latter group they what do they what they got the name for them uh, dinkies double income no kids oh they've got kids they are the ones who can afford it most mm. but they're the only ones in that list i mean oh yeah i mean the list is about 10 strong a dual income couple with children can afford can afford greater sydney but nobody else can that means a single full-time working parent a single-income couple with children, a minimum-wage couple, students in a share house, hospitality workers, a couple of pensioners, part-time workers, parents on benefits. Oh, my God, this is very depressing reading. God, we're having a depressing time today. So a pre uh, one person on JobSeeker has oh. to pay 137% of their income on the rent. So how, how do you do that? <sighs> wow. And it's so sad because it's making... Australia, I think, you know, there's a real division between the haves and the haves not. Absolutely. And there never used to be, I don't think. Not to the great know. same extent. No, that's right. So it's just, you know, wealthy people are getting wealthier. And, and you kind of think, well, 
you know, that includes anybody with a bit of investment property because yep. investment property, the value is going up. Absolutely. And also charging higher rents. Yep. So it's kind of the propertied classes versus um, the unpropertied classes, really. <laughs> the unpropertied. Well, yeah. And, and we were talking about this the other week about how, especially when we said to John Minns that our problem with the government decision making is they keep seeking the perfect solution, mm. which doesn't exist. Yeah. And they don't give things a try. Mm. I mean, we've, okay, we've got the government is going to put a certain amount of money into building new houses and a lot of them are going to be affordable and et cetera, et cetera. It's going to take too long. Yeah, it's not enough, really. And the the idea that, you know, by limiting rent increases, you're going to stop people from investing in property doesn't make sense to me either. No. But it's interesting. Yesterday, I gave a speech at the New South Wales Senate because they're celebrating the 200th anniversary of the first legislative council in New South Wales. And that's the first in the whole of Australia. Yeah. And I was talking about the first five members and other people, other historians were talking about the beginnings of Sydney. And they were talking about how when we introduced trial by jury here, which was also the same year, 1823, the only people who could sit on the jury were the propertied classes. Right, right. <laughs> so it's kind of like that was 200 years ago. Hmm. And now, I mean, obviously you can sit on a jury if you don't have property, but you just can't afford the bus fare. Right, <laughs> yeah, to get to the court. So, yeah, it just seems that the, the divisions have widened and, you know, it's a really – inegalitarian society now, even mm. worse than it has ever been, mm. really. I mean, it just seems to me that every week there seems to be more homeless people on the street yeah. asking for money, you know, and that's always an indicator that uh, things are not going the way they should. No, that's right. And, you know, regular people with regular jobs, you know, just not being able to make ends meet and yeah. wondering where on earth, you know, how they're going to pay the electricity bill. We're going to have the hottest summer on record probably this year. Yeah. You know, how can anybody pay for air conditioning, you know? I've got a feeling just in a, if they don't do something soon, within a couple of years, we're going to see refugee camps in the middle of our cities. Oh, my gosh. But, I mean, we've already seen in Hobart uh, people where 10% of the, the local housing stock is given over to holiday rentals. We've seen people camping in the parks there because mm. they just can't afford to to. Well, yeah, to do you remember the camp, the camp in Martin Place? Yeah, but that I was mean, a kind I mean, of… it was a protest. Yeah, yeah. But it kind of went on for a long time and I think a lot of people thought, you know, well… Sooner or later, a housing group, a radical housing group is going to say something like, hey, 10 of us are taking tents to Centennial Park mm. and if you want to join us, now would be the time. And once that starts, we will see refugee camps in mm. Australia, not as a political protest, but it's just so that people can live undercover and reasonably securely near a toilet. Mm. Yeah, It sounds like I've just done a call to action. <laughs> Hopefully it won't get to that. Hopefully you know, not. Let's hope the government really heed that. When we come back, we're going to talk about some good news about Yay! flat chat and a great idea of a place to go on holiday. That's after this. So tell me the great news about flat chat, Jimmy. This is very exciting. I was checking how many downloads we've had on our podcast because I don't know if our listeners recall but about a year ago I changed uh, the f platform mm. to the new one which with which I'm very happy and I, and we seem to be growing in numbers but what I didn't do and it has this facility where you can add in all the 
podcast numbers from your previous provider, previous platform, which is just a tedious thing of looking at the names of your podcast and typing the numbers in. Like two and a half years of weekly podcasts, I had to type the numbers in. Have we been doing this two and a half years now? More. More. So I did it last night, yesterday. I did Mm -hmm. it. I typed the numbers in and we are very close to 70,000 downloads. Wow, in total. Great. Fantastic. That is 70,000 times that people have listened to our podcast. Now, that could be one person who's listened to it 70,000 times, <laughs> or it could be 70,000 people who've listened to it once. <laughs> but I think it's more like our 30-day turnover is 300 mm. uh, listens mm. every 30 days, something mm. like that, which is pretty good, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not huge. It's not what you would call viral, but mm. it's it's makes it worth the effort. Yeah. Um, so, and the weird thing is, like we're sitting on sixty nine thousand something. Mm. The week that, unless things go horrendously pear shaped in the interim, mm. the week that we will take over the seventy thousand is also the week of my seventieth birthday. How fitting. That's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> That's wonderful. So where we will be in Fiji, I think. Yes, we're celebrating Jimmy's birthday. Big birthday. Yep. And that neatly brings us to our mild rover spot. Yes, this a is lock a lock up and leave. Yes. And uh, one of the deals that we've got on Mild Rover website now is um a golf holiday and spa in Fiji. Yep. And uh, it looks pretty good, really. I mean, I hate golf, but you like golf. But you like spas. I do. So that's good. So one person who likes the golf can play golf. Yeah. And the other person who hates golf can go to the spa. Now, we shouldn't assume that that split would be male-female. Oh, God, no. No, I know lots of women who just adore golf, really. Um, But, yeah, I guess you could do both if you really liked it, too. Yeah. Or, you know, you could... wreck yourself on the golf course in the morning and get the all the knots <laughs> massaged out of you in the afternoon. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a five-star intercontinental Fiji golf. That's a fabulous spot. hotel, by the way. Yeah, it looks like it. I mean, you've got huge tropical gardens and white sands and swaying palm trees. Oh, it's everything that you kind of love about Fiji, really. Yeah. And Fiji is kind of coming along hugely. I've just done a travel piece uh, for Traveller right. about Fiji and how there's so many more hotels and resorts and attractions now than there were a few years ago. Right. And it's really beca- becoming incredibly popular because we all went to Europe this year or last year because we were so eager to get out. Yeah. And now we're kind of facing a bit of a cost of living crisis. So, <laughs> yeah. so we're going to Fiji or we're going to places a bit closer at hand. It's only four hours away, isn't it? It is, yeah. So, so yeah. yeah. No, it's fantastic. You don't have the crippling air flights to get there. So mm. golf resort in Fiji. Yep, fantastic. So why are we not going there, exactly? (laughs) Sorry Uh, about that, Jimmy. (laughs) It's my birthday, after all. Yeah, that's true. I just wonder if they have different bars, though, because, you know, you come back from your golf, your your 18 holes of golf, and you're distraught and threatening to throw your clubs in the ocean, and next to you is your partner, who is all calm and serene and pampered. blissed out. But you keep them away (laughs) from each other for at least 12 hours. Sounds a good plan. All right, um, and that's everything. Yeah, and I'd just like to dedicate this podcast, this broadcast to my lovely mum, Edna Williams, who died on Sunday. So, um, yes, and we're asking for donations to MEDA, the fantastic charity, 
Um, and you put it on flat chat about Medoth, don't you? Edna used to listen to the podcast. She did. Because yeah. she could hear your voice. <laughs> I don't think she was so keen on mine, but I don't know. <laughs> anyway, this is lovely, a lovely dedication to a lovely woman, and we're going to miss her. We certainly are. All right, folks, that's us for another week. Take care, and uh, we'll talk to you again next week. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Flat Chat Rap Podcast. You'll find links to the stories and other references on our website, flatchat.com.au. And if you haven't already done so, you can subscribe to this podcast completely free on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcatcher. Just search for Flat Chat Rap with a W, click on subscribe, and you'll get this podcast every week without even trying. Thanks again. Talk to you again next week.